Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts. Set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, some of you may not know this, but in our tradition, we are continuing in the season of Advent. Uh, Or, I'm sorry, Easter. But if you were up north, you would feel like it's the season of Advent. Aren't you glad you're in the south? I mean, I thought about that. My brother-in-law called yesterday, and it was snowing in Cleveland. And I thought, oh my goodness, must feel like Advent up there. But we're in the Easter season. What does that mean? The Easter season means that we're in the season where we remember the resurrection. And it's spring and it's about life. And we can see life around us. But we have so many distractions in our lives, in our world, that we lose sight of seasons like Easter. We lose sight of Easter. Easter seems so far away. We lose sight of our faith sometimes. And what we're called to live like and what we're called to be in Christ and what life is meant to look like because of that. Think of all the distractions that we have in our life, in our world, that draw us away. Our thoughts, our focus, our attention. Last week and this week, it could be golf. The masters and the heritage. I mean, I love golf. But I don't love golf more than I love my Lord. But golf can be a distraction that draws us away from what the focus of our life is really meant to be about. I think it has for some today. I guarantee you, when I go down to the Heritage later, I will have people come up to me, or maybe avoid me, That will say, oh, I'm sorry I didn't make it today. And I actually feel like saying, I'm not the one you really need to be sorry to. (laughs) But that will happen. Because we have so many distractions. And not just golf. That can draw our hearts, our minds, our attention, our focus away. What else happened this week? Boston Marathon. And the tragedy that happened there. Now for some people that may have actually helped them to focus more. But I think for others, it's a distraction, it's a worry, it's a concern. Throw in what happened in Texas with the fertilizer plant that exploded. And the number of people still missing. Throw in the earthquakes that have happened the last couple weeks in the Middle East. Throw in the nuclear threat of North Korea. 
You know, all of these things that I'm talking to you about, including the fact that our economy, which we thought was getting better, is still sputtering, is in The Economist. I mean, you can read this thing and you'd say, wow, a lot of good information. You can say, my goodness, I don't really want to read that. Because it can be a distraction. It can cause us to worry. It can cause us to get our focus off the Lord and begin to be so concerned about the things of this world. And that's really what happens so often in our lives. Is we get consumed by, our focus gets drawn by the things of this world. And they can all become distractions. Positive or negative distractions. Positive in that they can draw us to the Lord. If we can let go of the worry and the fear and the struggle. Negative if they cause our focus to be away from the Lord. And the same thing can happen, frankly, when we focus on the things of the Lord. Do you realize that? That we can begin to get our focus off. Take, for example, our reading, our first reading today from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, a lot of people are fascinated by the book of Revelation. They're drawn to the book of Revelation. They get caught up in the symbols and the imagery and they think it's really cool and then they try to predict the end of the world and they say, are we in it now? I mean, look to all that's going on. And you can lose the focus. You can lose the focus. Because the book of Revelation, as we see in Revelation chapter 7, is about salvation. Salvation. Because that's really where our focus is meant to be. That we're to focus on that relationship with the Lord that has an impact on this life and causes our focus to be lifted to Him in heaven where we ultimately, by faith, will end up. That's what He wants for us. That's how we can live most effectively in this world when we are going through the distractions, particularly the painful and the tragic distractions that draw us away from Him. We think we have to fix. We think we have to control. We think we even have the ability. And we don't. Because there's challenges in this life beyond us. You know, let's go back to Boston just for a second. What was supposed to be the focus of the day? The focus of the day was supposed to be Patriots Day. The focus of the day was supposed to be on the race. What was coming up that evening was a wonderful event, sporting event. And then the next night, the Red Sox, the Pacers in town against the Celtics. supposed to be a good game. The Bruins, who lost to my Penguins this week. what happened? The focus changed. And how a tragedy can do that. How some pain in our life, some struggle in our life, can draw us away from what was the intended focus. In the blink of an eye. And part of the reason is, there is evil in this world. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to dwell on that. But there is evil in this world. When you look and see what happens at a situation like 
those two bombs that went off at the Boston Marathon, that's evil. And Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 6, you are not dealing merely with flesh and blood. You're dealing with the principalities and the powers of this present darkness. There is darkness in the world around us. And we're not even to be distracted by that, by the way. We're just to be aware that we live in that. And therefore, we need to stay the strongest we can for our own sake and for others' sake by focusing on the Lord and drawing on His power, living with His Spirit, knowing where our home really is that can help us live effectively in this life. And so we come to this passage in Revelation chapter 7. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Salvation. That's really meant to be the focus of our life. Not just that one time when we come to the Lord, we realize who Jesus is, why Jesus came. He died for me, for my sin. I have salvation. But then we live into that. That we are being saved and renewed every day. We live into that. Salvation becomes our focus of our life. That we are saved. And we are being saved from the power of sin, from the power of death, from the power of the evil around us and the temptation around us. We are being saved for Him. So salvation becomes our focus. And when we lose our focus for one reason or another, we end up being drawn away. I mean, go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve who... Their eyes were diverted to something that was a temptation. And then they were promised something, that they could be the God of their lives. Then they did what they did, and they hid. They were drawn away. And that's what this world can do to us. It can draw us away from our focus when God's intention for us is to walk with Him in the garden. To know His presence, to know His power. To know His love constantly. That's His desire for our lives. The passage goes on to say salvation belongs to our God. It belongs to Him. It's His idea. Why is it we sometimes think it's our idea or this is the way it should be? Right? We think we know best what's for our lives. Well, I know what the Bible says about righteousness, but I think I have a better idea, or that's really wrong, or they didn't know any better back then. I mean, whatever it is. But salvation belongs to our God. It's His idea in the first place to give you life. It's His idea in the first place to initiate that relationship with us. And through Jesus Christ, to be the initiator of redemption because He wants to have a relationship with us. Because He wants us to walk with Him constantly. It's His idea. Salvation belongs to our God and He gives us the gift that it might be ours. And so many people have their spins. Everybody's okay. That's a spin, but it's not reality. It doesn't matter what you believe. 
That's a spin, but it's not reality. If we want to know what God's salvation looks like, we look through the Word of God. We look at the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we look to. We look to the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, in our lives, and through us to touch the lives of others. That's what we look for. It belongs to God and to the Lamb. That Jesus Christ came. God so loved the world that He sent, and Jesus Christ came in response to God's love. And so it belongs to the Lamb because the Lamb laid down His life for us. Because He loves us. Because He wants to demonstrate God's power, God's love. And that Jesus died in our place for our sin, His power over sin. And rose again so that we would understand eternal life and the promise of eternal life. This is not the end. So that's what John is observing at this moment. John is observing this scene, caught up in this vision. And then, he's asked, so who are all these people and why are they here? Can you imagine John? Can you imagine being in John's place? Again, let's just back up so that we remember where John came from, first of all. Right? John came from a small fishing village, right? He maybe saw with Jesus, in Jesus' presence, hundreds or thousands, maybe ten thousands. Now he's observing this scene of heaven, and he's looking out over this sea of people around the throne. He's seeing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, billions, if not trillions of people. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to New York or to London when the streets are like really crowded. And you see people from all over the world. People that look differently, dress differently, act differently, different culture, completely different people. And I mean, it, you be, are you a pe- people watcher? I mean, have some of you been to the Heritage and done any people watching? It's amazing. It really is amazing to see the different kinds of people. But he's seeing billions, if not trillions of people, and he's probably overwhelmed. Who are these people? Where do they come from? Why are they here? You know, if I was John, he'd say, why are you asking me? John, who saw the power of God in Jesus Christ. John, who saw miracles. John who saw the cross and the resurrection. And now he's seeing a completely different scene, an overwhelming scene. Trying to take it all in. And he's not able to answer the question. They're from every language, people, and nation. Every language, people, and nation. Fulfilling What Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which is what his desire is for us, is that we are his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's why all these different people are drawn to him, drawn into him, drawn into the kingdom, and will be there by the throne because of our witness. And John is seeing the fulfilling of that in heaven. What a great picture. 
But there, there's another unusual thing going on here. You know, if you were to go to, once again, London or New York, you would see all these different garbs. I mean, I love going over to Tanzania when I go over there and just see the different outfits. It's just really unusual. And if I walked around with some, like a Maasai outfit, probably wouldn't be that big of a hit here. But the Maasai attract attention over there. But when you're in heaven, you're covered with a white robe. And everybody has on the white robe. What's that about? You know, once again, walking down at Heritage and seeing the different kinds of dress. Yesterday when I went, I don't know how many of you went, it was chilly. I had on jeans and a sweatshirt. And I had another sweatshirt tied around my waist because when that wind was blowing, it was chilly. I saw women there in sundresses. Nothing personal over there, by the way. I saw women in sundresses. And I kept thinking, what are they thinking? Nothing personal. Dendi, don't take it personally, please. Style over comfort. See, at this stage in my life, I'm not trying to, like, really look good for people. I'm just trying to be comfortable. But they're all dressed in white robes. Because they're covered with the righteousness of Christ. That's why. That we are going to, in a few moments, share in a baptism, little Audrey. And Audrey's going to wear a white gown that's been worn by lots of different people. Generations, right? And it's a white gown. Why is it white? Because the symbolism is covered with the righteousness of Christ. We're not there when we get there because of our own righteousness, because we're good enough. We're there because Jesus died for our sin. And we're all going to wear that white robe that is covered with the righteousness of Christ because of Him, not because of us. And once again, you have to imagine John, when he's hearing this line, because they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. John had been to the temple. John had seen the sacrifices. He'd seen the priests sacrificing the animals, and they're covered with blood, and it's not white. Because the symbolism here is about covered with Christ's righteousness. That He died. That's the blood. And when it washes, washes over us, we have His righteousness. That's the white robe. If you look at the images from the Old Testament in particular, Isaiah, Isaiah 64, and Zechariah chapter 3, where there is this reference to filthy rags, that what we wear because of our unrighteousness is filthy rags, and God takes it away, just like He did to the priest Joshua in Zechariah 3, and gave him a white robe covered with God's righteousness. It's a gift. It's a gift that we receive, and we're transformed, and we're able to be there by the throne because of Him. That's the gift. That's what we are to keep in our focus while we walk this earth. And then it says... At the, the Lamb is at the center on the throne. He's the true shepherd. The true shepherd. And as we heard in John chapter 10, the shepherd whose voice we are to hear. 
He's called us by name. We're called into His presence. We're called to Him as our Savior and Lord. And all we need to do is respond to that. He knows us by name. And the call in our lives is found in His Word. That's how we learn what it means to live into this righteousness, to live into this salvation that He gives us the gift of. And we need to hear His voice. You know, I want to go back to Boston just for a second. When those explosions happened, I guarantee you people were calling out to those they love. When you would get your wits about you after those explosions, the first thing that you would do if you were there with someone is you would call their name. And could you imagine the parents of that eight-year-old boy? Parents who call the name of the child. And the child doesn't answer. See, God our Father loves us. And he calls us by name. And he doesn't want us to be lost. And he doesn't want us dying a spiritual death. He wants to save us. And so he calls us by name. And that Jesus would be our good shepherd. And people miss it. As Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, but you don't believe me. I'm the good shepherd and you don't believe me. And that's what he's calling to us. That's what he wants for us. There's two other aspects of this passage that I want to draw out. The first is that everybody is there to worship. Everybody is there to worship. Do you long to worship? See, when we really understand that we are living in the midst of the Lamb of God, that we are one of His, that we are and will be around that throne for all eternity, basking in His love, basking in His presence, that he want, what He wants for us is worship. And my question is, do you understand that? And do you long for that worship? To be here on Sundays and every day in your own time with the Lord. Long to be in worship of the Lord. See, that's really what heaven is about. To live in His presence, to walk in His presence, to worship Him, and to not be distracted. You know, there's a lot of people right now who are not here who are usually here because they didn't want to deal with the traffic. I, in part, understand that. But we allow distractions to draw us away from worshiping Him. When we have people staying with us, see, do we invite them? Do we invite them to join us? And if they say, I really don't want to go to church, be a witness and come anyway. Because we long to worship. I have to confess, I'm so impressed. There's about a half a dozen uh, 
college seniors here who came with my son this morning. I'm impressed they didn't sleep in. I have to tell you that. I am. Especially since when I got up at 4.30 this morning, they were still awake. I couldn't believe it. I walked up, scared the heck out of them. I said, what do you think you're doing? They said, what time is it? So they all went to bed right away. They came to worship. See, God wants people who want to be in His presence and understand that. And the second thing is the glimpse of heaven that we get. The glimpse of heaven that we get. No more tears. No more struggling. No more suffering. No more sickness. No more evil. No more sin and temptation. That it's pure joy. And we get glimpses of that in this life, which is what God wants to show us. Glimpses of that joy. Being together as His body. Being together as brothers and sisters. Sharing with one another in love. When we really have those moments in family and with friends that are loving and joyful, we get glimpses. And we will live with that for all eternity. That's what He wants for us. You understand? Now, I want to leave you with two thoughts. Two thoughts. Subliminally suggested for you that will remain with you. And, the, and they are, first and foremost, we've just had two golf tournaments, right? The Masters and we're in the Heritage right now. Okay, the Masters. The question is, are you the Masters? Are you the Masters? Do you really belong to Him? Do you really understand? He wants to be your Good Shepherd. I went to Augusta last week for the first time and walked around Augusta National. What a beautiful place. What a great place. I want to play there someday. <laughs> I heard people several times say, oh, it's like heaven here. And you know my first thought? No, it's not. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a great place. It's not heaven. I heard people sneezing and coughing. And I saw sunburn and it was raining on Sunday. It's not heaven. It's a great place. I love Augusta National. Adam Scott probably felt like he was in heaven last week. But it's not heaven. Once again, it's a glimpse because of the beauty. It's a glimpse. It's not heaven. But the question is, are you the masters? Do you belong to him? And the second is the heritage. What heritage are you leaving? Are you leaving a godly heritage? I mean, lots of people think it's important to leave a heritage of money and success, of fame, of a good game of golf or a good tennis game, or you play an incredible guitar or piano or organ. And that's not a bad legacy to leave, but the heritage that I want to leave is that 
I sought to live a godly life and I sought to bring others with me who are going to be with me around the throne and belong to Him. That's the heritage I want to leave. That's the heritage I want people to inherit who know me. And what heritage are you going to inherit? Are you going to be one of those around the throne? Or spiritually separated from God for all eternity? And those that you love, where will they be and what will they inherit? Because of your witness. Two golf tournaments. Two thoughts. Are you the masters? And what heritage will you leave? And what heritage will you inherit? Now we're about to go through a baptism. It is a great time to listen to what we are about as Christians, what we are committed to, what we say we're committed to, and how we're going to live. And you can renew your own vows as we share in this baptism together. And as you enjoy the heritage this afternoon, whether you're there with me, or whether you're watching it at home, and listening to my friend Jim Nance, What heritage will you share? Please bow with me in prayer. Around us, there's good distractions and evil distractions that can cause us to fear that can cause us to operate in our own strength, in our own way. And yet we're called to live a life of salvation. A life of salvation that belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. A salvation that is a blessing to us and a blessing to others and that we would be your witnesses in the world. Lord God, cause us by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your Son, Jesus, to truly be the masters. Belong to you. And the heritage that we leave, and the heritage that we live and will live, would be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit to live in this world, to live this life, and for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name.